Next time you visit your local public library, you may leave with some books and some guidance on safeguarding freedom of expression. Welcome to Copyright Clearance's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. Whether physical or virtual, a library is the nursery of democracy and it shells the embodiment of free speech. In the age of Trump, many librarians take their jobs more seriously than ever. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, joins me every Friday and today he has insights on the precious librarian's face. Welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Greetings, Chris. Well, we will talk about librarians and their role in the age of Trump in just a moment. But first, um, we did speak last week on our last show about the writers attending the annual AWP meeting in Washington, D.C., and their plans for protest. And they uh, went through with that protest and a lot more politics in the news this week. So so tell us uh, what's been going on. I guess we should start with this soapbox column uh, that appeared on Monday in PW that came to the defense of Milo Yiannopoulos. The column writer uh, for PW was someone with a special perspective on the controversy over a forthcoming book from that Breitbart provocateur. So so lead with that. Tell us uh, where we are with Milo and the defense of his right to free speech. Yeah, that's right. In Monday's issue, we're actually going to publish uh, that soapbox in print, and it's written by Milo's literary agent, Thomas Flannery Jr., uh, and it's a pretty spirited defense of his client, and specifically, it's in response to another soapbox that appeared in PW, and that's Joy Peskin's February 6th soapbox titled Drawing the Line, uh, and in that soapbox, she made the argument that publishers kind of did themselves wrong by taking on the Milo Yiannopoulos book. So, like a good agent, uh, I'll say this, Thomas Flannery is shocked, shocked at what he sees as the willingness of many in the publishing industry to try to stifle uh, Milo Yiannopoulos' opinions. Uh, the right to speak freely, he argues, even if your opinions are unpopular, should be the bedrock of our industry, he writes. And to be clear, Flannery does not agree with everything Milo says. He says that straight out in his soapbox, but he compares Milo's words to those of Chelsea Handler or Kathy Griffin or any number of other celebrity authors, and he says that conservative voices are often held to a double standard. Uh, and he says he won't stand for it when so-called progressives try to silence conservative voices. And he believes in Yiannopoulos and that his core message is that political correctness is causing more harm than good. All right, so that uh, column will be in the print edition this coming Monday for Publishers Weekly, but it's already been online earlier this week, and that gives everyone a chance to respond. So how well has uh, Flannery's defense of Milo gone over? Well, not well. <laughs> About as well as you'd expect. And, you know, my own personal response, uh, not representing my esteemed employer, Publishers Weekly, of course, is that Flannery's response is really just an act of pure sophistry. You know, one might even call it Bull. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's not really a defense of Milo's ideas as it is this idea that he's being attacked because he's not politically correct. And I just find that to be total crap. You know, Milo is being attacked, but he's being attacked for a few reasons. The first of which is because his ideas and his statements are repugnant to most of us in the industry, uh, not because they challenge any kind of norms or political correctness. And two, 
Milo's being challenged because he wants to be. He's being attacked because he wants to be. And if he didn't have the straw man of political correctness, the fact is nobody would really pay attention to him. Now, there is a deeper question here, and one that I think is worthy of discussion, and that's where that line is between free speech and the stifling of free speech. You know, but I don't think Milo is the ideal person to lead that discussion because he has a huge platform. No one who is protesting Milo's book, Dangerous, which Simon & Schuster is actually going to be putting out late, they announced this week. It was moved from March till June. But nobody's protesting Milo because his voice hasn't been heard. Milo has a huge megaphone. Uh, he writes for Breitbart.com. He crisscrosses the country giving speeches, more speeches than the ones that have been disrupted, such as Berkeley, etc. So, you know, as I see this, making this argument that it's political correctness – it's all a business issue for Milo. It's not really a free speech issue at the heart because his free speech is certainly not impeded. For Milo, it's business. And let's be frank, business has never been better for him. Well, indeed. And we've got some business as well. We'll be right back with Beyond the Book and Andrew Albanese. Just a moment. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. And we are back on Beyond the Book with Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer. And we've been talking about politics and books quite a lot this year. So far, it's only a month and a half into 2017, but there has been a lot of politics, of course. And on another political front, the library community has become increasingly political since Donald Trump's election. And in Monday's upcoming issue, you have a column yourself looking at how that's affecting the American Library Association. What did you write? Yeah. So, you know, however one feels about Donald Trump, you know, or his policies, he has certainly delivered a shock to the American political system. Uh, and as we've talked a little bit about on this show, in the early days of his administration, Trump has also thrown a jolt into the American Library Association. Uh, specifically, our listeners may recall after the November election, ALA faced something of a revolt from many of its members following the release of a statement, which was later rescinded and referred to as a draft in which ALA leaders offered to work with the Trump Trump administration on issues of common interest. Well, librarians penned angry letters and blog posts and editorials, all accusing ALA leaders of being collaborators. Uh, they took to social media, and many even threatened to quit the organization. Still, you know, the question remained, how should ALA approach the Trump administration? You know, so at the recent ALA midwinter meeting, ALA leaders, having heard the voices of displeasure from its members, put that question right to ALA. And to be sure, it's a pretty fraught question. Uh, and in a town hall uh, at the ALA midwinter meeting, about 30 librarians got up and addressed ALA leadership and told them how they thought ALA should handle the Trump administration going forward. Uh, and I report on a number of those voices, but that is also online at the ALA, the American Library's Facebook page has a video of the town hall. And if you're interested, it's well worth checking out. One librarian sort of, you know, captured the fraught position ALA's in. Uh, he noted that ALA has spent many years working to be part of the conversation, to have a place at the policymaking table. And if they get up and walk away now, they're only going to hurt themselves. But other librarians, one by one, got up to the mic and made the point that libraries are facing more fundamental issues, more fundamental threats under Donald Trump. 
and that they need to really be focused on protecting their people and standing up for their core values. And they urged ALA not to treat this administration like they would treat any other because this administration is not normal. It's different. Uh, all right. So, so this article, it's not alone in writing about librarians and their political uh, bent these days in the age of Donald Trump. Uh, in fact, though, this is not something entirely unusual for librarians. Uh, they've been political in the past as well. Absolutely. And, and in fact, this week, uh, Elizabeth Flock published a great piece, a really well-researched and reported piece, you know, filled with links and lots of great input about librarians' political engagement. That piece is actually on the PBS NewsHour website. And if you haven't seen it, uh, another thing I can recommend uh, to go check out. Uh, and she's right. She noted in the 1950s that librarians stood up to the Red Scare. And in the 1960s, it was the battle for civil rights. Every decade has had its political challenges for librarians. In the 1970s, the Vietnam War and Watergate were tearing at America. And most recently, librarians fought back forcefully against the Patriot Act and the rise of government surveillance and warrantless wiretapping following the 9-11 attacks. But you know, for librarians, Trump is different. It just really feels different. Uh, and in my piece, I focus on how librarians are pressuring ALA to acknowledge their political battles and to stand with them. Now, to be clear, librarians don't need the ALA to activate them politically. In her piece, Elizabeth Flock at the PBS NewsHour uh, reported on a number of examples of local librarians who are standing up for their core values in the face of Trump's recent executive actions and unabashedly taking politically active stances. Uh, right there in your neighborhood, for example, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, the public library announced in January that it would continue to be a sanctuary space, even though Trump has issued an order stripping federal funding from cities that are exist as sanctuaries. The Hennepin County Library in Minnesota, uh, which serves a really large Somali population, has launched a campaign called All Are Welcome Here. And to be fair, ALA has heard the message. In the last month, it has taken a much harder line on Trump's executive actions, uh, and it's issued some really, really uh, strong statements against Trump. So what this means for libraries in terms of federal funding remains to be seen, but the message from ALA or the message from membership, I should say, to ALA leaders is pretty clear that there's a battle on here. And to quote my favorite movie, The Godfather, librarians want a wartime consigliere in ALA. All right. Well, you've got a, a correspondent uh, on the move at Publishers Weekly uh, this week, uh, Calvin Reed, uh, your colleague and our sometime guest on Beyond the Book, uh, traveled down to Havana for the second PW mission there. And it's his return engagement. We've seen uh, quite a number of wonderful photographs from there and you've got a little bit of a report there yeah so once again politics is going to be a part of this as well uh there's a new administration here obviously and it remains to be seen how the future of cuba shakes out but suffice it to say there's a lot of hope on the island of cuba and in monday's issue uh my friend calvin reed will report on where cuba now stands and what opportunities exist for publishers there uh and of course there's plenty of great photos including photos of amazing classic cars. But, you know, you definitely want to check out Calvin's excellent reporting on Cuba in Monday's issue. Certainly much has changed in just the one year since PW took its first mission down there. Uh, and you'll definitely want to check that out. All right, then. As they say in Havana, gracias por estar con nosotros, Andrew Albanese. Thank you for being with us on Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. 
Next on Beyond the Book, behind the scenes at the Washington Post Book World. In a keynote interview with author Kevin Smokler of at last week's PubWest 2017 conference, critic Ron Charles offers an insider's tour of one of the last remaining newspaper book sections in the U.S. He also revealed what influence Jeff Bezos has on the newspaper he owns. Mr. Bezos made it clear publicly that he had no intention of interfering with the editorial content of the Washington Post. He has never done that, or any of his people have never done that with the book section. I'm in the newsroom every day. I've never heard a rumor of a whisper that he's had any influence on the editorial content of the Washington Post. He's been very, very involved in the engineering side, in the development of the website, in the kind of technical problems, programming problems. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand those, but I know they're not editorial issues. Uh, there has been, I swear to you, absolutely no influence on the book coverage from Amazon. Next on Beyond the Book, Ron Charles, Washington Post Book World Editor-in-Chief. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center with subsidiaries Rights Direct in the Netherlands and Ixis in the United Kingdom. CCC is a global leader in content workflow, document delivery, text and data mining, and rights licensing technology. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher for Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book.